In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers Podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. Welcome. This is the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers Podcast, and i um, really grateful that you punched all of the right buttons on whatever device you're on so you could join us today for this, uh, this conversation. I'm, I'm excited. Um, we're going to talk about some technology that I've known about for several years, but uh, have been fascinated with, and, and I think you're going to find it quite interesting too. But we're going to talk about avatars and things like that, and I think it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting on, on how companies are getting value from these things. And so really excited to uh, start talking about this. But before we do, as always, I want to be sure and say thank you to several folks. Of course, not the least is you for joining us today. But also want to say thank you to our sponsor, that's HPE. And I don't know if you're aware or not, but HPE has um, a whole group of uh, dedicated and experienced oil and gas solution folks. So a whole team there that can help you um, with your business uh, in the oil and gas business. If you go and take a look at hpe.com, you'll see that these days they're talking a lot about their new platform or relatively new platform called GreenLake. And what they say about GreenLake is it's their edge to cloud platform. And um, what they really want to do is be sure that you can have a great cloud experience on premise. So don't have to go uh, to the public cloud to get some of those great functions and services, but they're going to bring that to you wherever your data and applications reside, you know, at your co-locations, at your edges, wherever that might be. So if you get a chance, go take a look at hpe.com or give those folks a call and see if uh, they've uh, and see if you think you can talk to someone on their oil and gas team. And I would be remiss to, as I said, to say something about the OGGN team that that helps make uh, all the post production folks and all the capability that uh, they give us hosts of these these podcasts. And uh, the Oil and Gas Global Network is the largest community of oil and gas podcasts in the world. And just recently, in fact, I think last week, um, now we have listeners, the Oil and Gas Global Network has listeners in every country on the globe. So big thank you to everybody. And uh, I'm hoping there's one from each country for the Digital Doers podcast, but we may not be quite there yet, but we'll keep working on that. Um, also in the show notes, uh, when you're listening to this, you'll see that there are a couple of links. If you get a chance, uh, click on those links. Won't take much time. One of them is an opportunity for you to leave a bit of a review. Let me know what you think and what you're liking and maybe not liking about the podcast. And the other one is a place for just a one question survey. And if you will click on that, it'll help us gather a little data about this podcast. So we'd really appreciate all the listeners help us out there. And so with all of that under uh, out of the way now, I want to uh, 
introduce you to Sid Gupta with Nesh. And Sid is the, um, he's the co-founder and CEO of Nesh. And Nesh builds subject matter avatars for complex industries. So Sid is a petroleum engineer. He has both um, an undergraduate degree from the Indian Institute of Technology and a master's degree from UT in Austin. Um, he's got some experience with both uh, Schlumberger and Shell. So Sid knows the oil and gas industry well. And uh, I believe Nesh was started for the oil and gas industry and maybe has expanded a little bit. So welcome, Sid. And what have I missed that you'd like to tell us? Karen, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Um, you covered pretty much everything, um, short and sweet. That's my career. So I, I am an oil and gas person, going to spend most of my career since graduating from school at the intersection of energy and software. Uh, so excited to talk about Nesh and how we've been kind of helping out the energy sector since last four years. Yeah, great. Well, I did yeah. want, miss one piece that I want to be sure and get in here because I'm always um, so impressed and actually a little jealous that I can't say this, but um, you say that you are a self-described data nerd and, <laughs> and design enthusiast. <laughs> and so I love that. Uh, data is certainly making the world go around these days. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what is Nesh? How did you get that idea? And, and uh, just tell us about this. Sure. Um, so I used to work in the energy sector before starting Nesh, um, and I used to work for a very large um, services organization, um, 120,000 people, massive uh, establishment, a lot of really smart people working there, kind of serving um, like the global energy industry. Um, and the industry kind of went through a downturn. This was back in 2016. Uh, the oil prices were low and stock prices were low and things were, everybody was pretty stressed and on the edge. Uh, and our company kind of laid off a lot of people as a result of the downturn. So about 20,000 people were let go in a short period of about six months or so. Um, I was still working there. I still had a job, fortunately, but it was very hard to keep functioning when all the experts around you who knew their stuff, they were no longer around you to help you out. So I was one of those people kind of running around trying to figure out things, trying to find the new person to go ask a question to um, and figure out where to kind of pick up the things that somebody else had left off. So very rough two years or so kind of living through that phase. Um, and that gave us the idea, you know, maybe this doesn't have to be this hard. Maybe there's a way in which this could have been prevented. And all of that expert knowledge could have been captured before it was too late. So that's kind of what led up to Nesh. Um, and that was the kind of genesis of the idea. And what we do today at Nesh is we capture expert knowledge within an organization and we turn it into what we like to call a subject matter avatar. So essentially, it's like a digital twin of an expert. Uh, and people can ask questions to it when those experts are no longer available. So it could be for situations like they're on a vacation or they're on a parental leave or they're in a different time zone and they're sleeping and you need access to their expertise now. Or worst case scenario is when they leave the company due to retirement or resignation or turnover. So that's what Nesh is and that's what we do. Yeah. Okay. So I, I love that notion that it's a digital twin of somebody with a lot of wisdom and 
not a lot of uh, knowledge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people know so much stuff. They have acquired so much knowledge over the years. Um, and most people want to share that. They want to make sure that their legacy lives on, uh, right? So that's what we are trying to enable. Yeah. There's a, an extreme, every once in a while over the last decade or so, you know, there's a there's an article that comes out with a really catchy title. Um, I, I suspect this is in every industry, uh, but of course I've paid attention to the ones in the oil and gas industry. But I remember one that had a title of something like, uh, you know, that uh, an oil and gas company's data is their most valuable asset, right? Not their reserves necessarily, and I guess not even people, which we like to think of, but that data um, was, you know, going to be more valuable. Um, and so this notion that, uh, you know, creating opportunities for people to always have access to that data, um, I would think would be very valuable. Yeah, I think I had sort of heard of a similar anecdote that there's more oil in the filing cabinets than it's in the ground. Oh, I love that. More <laughs> oil in the filing cabinets than is left in the ground. I think that's great. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's there's so much inf- knowledge and information. I mean, there's, those are sort of different things like data, information, knowledge. They're sort of progressively more rich. Uh, but there's so much of that trapped within um, within a company and unlocking that there's um, there's so much value in unlocking that and trying to figure out what, what is in there because most companies don't even know what they have. And so it's hard for them to even know what they don't have. So when you start unlocking that, you can start seeing gaps and then try to fill those gaps slowly over time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, you know, and it's interesting. So you used as an example, you know, like a downturn, which, you know, the oil and gas industry has gone through several and it's what, 150-ish, 160-ish, seven, whatever uh, years that it's been, you know, kind of a, a commercial um, industrial product. Um, but, um, you know, there's lots of things that might happen um, that that causes, that, that really highlights the difficulty in accessing data knowledge, information. Um, I worked for a company. Um, one time we were forming a company and there were basically three companies coming together. And, uh, you know, there was a period of time when our engineers and, uh, you know, geoscientists and others, I'm sure, but I was most familiar with the engineers and geoscientists, you know, nobody could find anything because you'd had these three companies coming together and you were trying to put together their their, the technologies that they had, the file cabinets, the teams, you know, it was just uh, very, very difficult to even know what anybody had. So that's another example I can think of. And there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions that go on, right? So that's one example. And then, of course, just, you know, the knowledge that resides in the heads and the brains of people that, you know, walk out the door of the industry is another one. And there's probably a lot of others. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many of these circumstances, right? I mean, M and A is a good one, like you said. Um, downturn, obviously, it happened. That whole thing gets magnified by a, by an order of magnitude. Um, people just um, quitting the company, just gen- general turnover. Even the best companies have, even the best companies have turnover, right? So, when they leave, how do you how do you capture that 
knowledge from walking out the door. Um, another instance is like somebody new coming in, right? You have to onboard young people who are entering the industry. I mean, young talent, they are hungry for knowledge. How do you make sure you can onboard them quick? So it's sort of this reverse problem, but you have that. And then even on days when the sun is shining and everything is good, you will still have that issue because I've heard from companies where they're like, everything is just normal. That's like the regular course of business, but departments are so siloed that people just don't know where to go look for an answer and find basic things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're right. Lots and lots of different challenges there. Right. So so do you have, um, how can you help companies, um, Sid kind of place a value on what Nesh brings? That's a, that's a really good question, right? Because, um, determining the value is always important before investing in any technology because you need to know what your returns will be on any investment that you make, right? And knowledge management is one of those areas which is tricky to put a value on. Uh, So the way we kind of think about it and we work with our customers to think about it is look at the use case for applying Nash for and let's see if we can come up with a value proposition, a quantified value proposition for that use case. The most obvious one is time savings, right? Like uh, if you can find answers quickly, you will save a lot of time. Uh, But time saving doesn't necessarily translate into dollars because unless the time that is being saved is by people who are in a commercial role. So like sales people, for instance, their time is actually translates into revenue, but not all use cases are sales use cases. So we try to think about like for different use cases, how does knowledge translate into, into dollars? So there are a couple of examples. I mean, one could be for quality. So if the quality team is using Nash or a product like ours for getting answers and getting access to all the information, the goal is that they will improve the product quality that their company is making. That will have a downstream effect of having fewer returns from the market or just higher uptake. That increases the revenue. Uh, another use case could be um, when employees retire, they would often come back as consultants and work for the company at three times the rate that they were getting paid. I, yeah, and that often translates into significant saving if, if you can capture that knowledge before that person left. Um, there are other areas as well. I mean, you can look at um, reducing like um, customer service or technical services. Um, efficiency, you can improve the efficiency of these teams so they can help the, the, the customers get more from the services that the company provides. So there's an increase in revenue on that end. Uh, You can lower the experience bar and upskill people like a a three to five year person can work at the efficiency levels of a six to 10 year experienced employee. So that salary difference there right away kind of makes up for that investment that you're making in the technology. So there's several ways in which we can look at the value proposition of a product like ours. But the goal is to look at the use case that you're trying to solve this for and and then see how can unlocking the knowledge translate into either cost saving or revenue increases or risk reduction for those teams. Yeah, but those are great examples. I mean, there's several certainly that come to mind quickly, but you know, I think that one about kind of upscaling, right, is you can quickly 
take someone with a lot less um, experience, perhaps, and give them the benefit um, of, uh, you know, having access very quickly to the support um, that, that, that they need. Of course, the other one of that great example about the consultants, and that is very common, isn't it? Um, and so, you know, that's an example where you can obviously see it because you can measure, right, the walking out the door at one salary or whatever, and then walking back in the door, that's easy to see. But the lost kind of opportunities of that person's knowledge and experience and perhaps products that they've, you know, developed, having that not accessible to a larger population within the company, um, I got to believe there's, there's some uh, lost opportunity uh, cost there um, as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the recreation of knowledge is often very expensive because uh, you somebody somebody takes that knowledge with them. And I think statistics and studies have shown that about 40% of somebody's um, implicit knowledge, uh, whatever is in their heads, that doesn't get shared. Uh, so wow. that's uh, like almost like half of it is, isn't shared with the company. And that half needs to be recreated somehow once yeah. those folks are gone. And that's a massive undertaking. It's a lot of cost to reinvent the wheel again and again and again whenever yeah, that happens. That's great. That's that's excellent. Yeah. yeah. So so let me because I don't want I don't think Nash is just like a Google search engine, or is it? What tell us a little bit more about how that works? What what does Nash actually do? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think that oftentimes when people hear the word avatar, they're kind of thinking, well. How does it work? Like, how do I interface with it? What does it look like? So I'll tell you, like, sort of what our ultimate goal is here and how we, where we are today. Um, so we're still kind of, as a startup, we're still on our journey. The reason we call this an avatar is because our ultimate goal is to create, like, an immersive environment where people are actually talking to and floating head. Wow. And they're getting answers to their very technical questions in the context of the work that they're doing. But because... VR and AR is still sort of not a mainstream technology, still has, hasn't been adopted uh, widely in the market. So we are sort of like paired back that experience to something that is a bit more tangible to folks today. So like on their browsers, essentially they're in a browser, they select an avatar, essentially they select who they want to ask a question to, and they type their question in using a keyboard. Um, so in that sense, it is similar to Google that you're interacting with it through a, through a keyboard search. Okay. Uh, but it is sort of understanding how your company operates, how people think, uh, how they make decisions, what kind of language do they use within the organization? Because there's a lot of jargon and concepts that are specific to an industry and more specific to a company to so understand all of that. So that's essentially what Nesh does. Now, how it does it, it kind of goes through a few different steps. So the first step is to look at any content that has been actually created and documented and put inside the organization or inside the company. So anything like a PowerPoint or a Word document or a PDF or any, any, any kind of textual information has been put and filed away somewhere. That's the first step. So Nesh goes and reads it and understands it and connects the dots between it. The second step is 
looking at any ongoing conversations that are still happening within the company that hasn't been formalized and put on paper yet. So this could be emails that are going back and forth between you and I, for example, or chat messages like Teams or Slack that people are talking to each other. Okay. So Nesh can be brought into those conversations so she can listen in when the user wants it to. And then the third step is anything that is still in people's heads. They haven't put on paper yet. They haven't written about it. They haven't talked about it. That is still in people's heads. So Nesh will send sort of very small micro questions to them to ask them for answers. And when the user answers those small questions over time, enough knowledge will get downloaded from them. So, so Nesh um, is proactively kind of trying to uh, learn, I guess is the, the, the way I think of it. Correct. Yes. Yeah. She's trying to detect what gaps in knowledge um, she's finding and then wow. trying to proactively fill those gaps. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm just curious, sometimes the the PDFs or the spreadsheets or the Word documents, you know, might reside on, you know, not my physical device, but it might reside in a file that's Joanne Myers' file. Um, and so when someone asks a question, Nesh within a company, Nesh is going to not only this public files, but is also kind of going to some of Joanne's storage areas as well? It depends on the data universe that has been set up for us. So that data universe is completely customizable. So companies will tell us that these are all the knowledge repositories that we want you to connect with. So it could be a SharePoint site that has millions of files already in it, or it could be some. It could be a network drive on your network that has a lot of files in it, or it could be somebody's C drive. So somebody left the company and they turned in their laptop, and you have a lot of information sitting on their C drive. So you could put that into Nash as well. So it's it's like it's fully uh, defined and customized by the clients depending on what they want access wow. to. But the short answer to your question is yes. It could yeah, be good. your personal file if you gave us a line of sight to it. Great, great. And so this thought about Nesh being a floating head. Um, so on your website, um, there's a cute little icon. Um, that the purple is, ghost. Is it the purple ghost? So yeah, <laughs> I was wondering if maybe that was the little floating head. Cause, yeah. uh, but um, she looks very approachable. Yeah, that's our goal. I mean, we, we want people to feel friendly. I mean, every, any new technology has a bit of a, People have always some apprehension to it, like how do how will it work? Like, is it gonna is it accurate? How do I depend on it? Right. Especially when it comes to like high stakes situation like the ones that we're operating in. So we wanted to make sure that it was it was approachable and uh, it was also fun, right? We we didn't want it to be a chore to use Nash. So we wanted to make yeah. sure that there was some element of fun and and sort of quirkiness. Yeah. Well, I think it is, and of course, I I love the fact that you've uh, you know you've adopted the. Uh, the the naming um, convention, I guess, for ships. So Nesh is a woman. Nesh is a she. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so where in the organization, Sid, 
do you usually see that initial pull for Nash? Is this something that the IT folks say, gosh, this is a great new capability? Or do you see it from like frustration in the tech technical ranks as people say, for heaven's sakes, I can't, you know, I know we've got, I don't know, terabytes of storage. I don't know, gigabytes or terabytes of story of stuff stored and we can't find anything. Where, where, where do you usually see the pull? I think it kind of goes back to the previous thing that we were talking about, sort of like the value of Nash. I've, uh, the, the, the biggest return that we have seen is for teams that have some sort of a commercial um, commercial responsibility. So technical services and technical sales are the two biggest uh, groups that we have seen uh, find the most value because they are looking at a whole slew of information that is within the company. So they need to look at all the product-related information, the specs, the safety information, the quality information, troubleshooting information, uh, regulatory information, bill of materials, all kinds of things they need to look at. And they need to recompile all of that to respond to customers very quickly. Uh, otherwise, there's a risk of things getting delayed and revenue being delayed and so on. So I think that's where we see the biggest impact uh, for Nash and the biggest pull come from there is technical services and technical sales. Uh, there are some areas which are edge cases that we like, for the instance, the asset team within an ENP company, they could also use it because they often have daily operations that they're running and across a lot of uh, data sources they need to look at to find value in there or to find answers in there. But if I had to pick one or two, I think the technical sales and technical services would be the two to point out. Hmm. They kind of have to aggregate or pull from um, varied functional uh, places all across the company. So I can see that there's a real value uh, to them not having to have a deep knowledge about where to find any particular, you know, uh, genre of, of data or something. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think the, the stakes are very high for them because they are customer facing. Mm -hmm. and they need to respond. Otherwise, there's commercial consequences. So, yeah, I think that's why the urgency to solve that problem is quite high there. Yeah. Excellent. Great, great. Um, and so, um, I, 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 as you mentioned, you know, you kind of got the inspiration. Um, you were, uh, you know, you were uh, kind of compelled to move based on experience in oil and gas. But as we said up front, you know, you do you you've expanded into some other industries. Is is that right? Yeah, we have, uh, and it kind of happened through a bit of an happenstance, and also just doing market research and understanding if this problem is unique to our industry or to others as well. And what was interesting about oil and gas, and I'm sure um, you have seen this too, is like we have this bimodality of talent in our industry. Right? There's this one peak of very experienced people and then there's this another peak of young people who are coming into this industry and there's sort of this gap in between it almost looks like a suspension bridge right you have these two peaks and you have a sort of a gap in between uh, and this pattern kind of repeats itself in a lot of other industries so we've seen that in the chemical sector we have seen that in heavy manufacturing sector so it happens in a lot of different industries so what our approach has been is like once we have established that there's value in one of these industries, we can repeat that in others. So we have expanded to like chemicals, chemical manufacturing. We have expanded to heavy heavy machinery, uh, defense and aerospace as well, uh, and financial services. So wherever that pattern is there, we try and see if we can solve for that uh, yeah. problem there. Yeah, that's a that's a big need. 
when you've got that, that gap. Uh, yeah, makes, makes sense. Okay. Um, and so you talked, we talked just a little bit and I think you, you, so you may have, so was there anything else or did we kind of cover everything about how you train the avatar? It sounds like you, like you said, you don't put sensors in somebody's brain, but she does go <laughs> ask little questions. That's a really good point because the training is sort of never complete, right? It's like, oh, you can almost think of it as like a, you bring in a toddler into the organization in the form of an AI and she just keeps learning over time. So once you set it up with those three steps, like reading the content, reading the conversations, and then asking experts for help, it's a continuous loop that just keeps going and then she's continuously learning. The part that I didn't mention before is that there's a feedback loop in there because machines are too far. I mean, it, we give we often give AI too much credit, right? I mean, humans are way more smarter than AI is today uh, in terms of like decision making and and how like closing the loop on certain things. Um, and so, Nesh will rely on a real expert to actually train the system. Uh, users can give it a thumbs up and a thumbs down to say if the answers was correct or not. They can vote up certain things, vote down certain things when uh, a wrong answer is showing up at the top. Uh, so there's feedback loops built into it that the user can go in or the experts can go in and train the system and then say, no, this is actually incorrect. I know the correct answer. This is what it should be. So she's kind of learning from them as okay. we go. Okay. All right. So, so she might ask a question um, and then she will get, she'll get, if, if, uh, then she forms, she hears the answer and then she does go back and say, Hey, did I get it right? Correct. Yeah. And even for questions that she did not ask an expert for answer, let's say if she found the answer in, um, five different PDF documents, she'll synthesize the answer and then come back with a summary and then the user can go in and then say, hey, looks like this answer is actually correct. Part of the answer is correct, but the other part is incorrect. So she'll take that feedback and then improve so that the next time when somebody asks a question, she'll pick the right PDFs and the right expert I answer to compile the answer. I got it. I got it. Yeah. That's great. I'm, so it, she really is kind of like a toddler learning yeah, you're teaching it. You're teaching it to recognize patterns um, and like trying to synthesize things better, trying to understand what you are saying, because the way I would frame a question might be different from the way you would frame a question, even though we're asking about the same thing. Right. So she'll she'll try to also understand what do different people say when they mean the same thing. So she's kind of con continuously learning these patterns to figure out how to generate the best possible answer for you. Yeah. What's the longest time period or the longest instance of uh, Nesh in an organization? Is it two years? That we've been working with for a, the yeah. customer? Um, yeah, about like, I think the longest customer that we have had is about 18 months or so right okay. now. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I suspect over time, uh, not only is Nesh learning, but I suspect that people become increasingly dependent on her. Yeah. I mean, we have had like business, we have had business unit expansions, like one department is using it and they start seeing some value in it. And then the word organically spreads to another business unit and they uptake it uh, within the same organization. Um, so yes, that happens. And we also see sort of like continuous 
usage of the product, the questions become more and more complex as time goes by yeah. because initially people are just testing the waters to see if I can get some basic answers back from Nesh. Right. And over time, the questions become more and more involved. And then you can start seeing instead of asking like a, a five word question, people will start asking like a 10 word question. Wow. Yeah. So you can see that their thoughts are evolving with, with Nesh over time as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if a company decides, okay, we're going to bring Nesh in, um, what are, what are some of the early big challenges that they are faced with or that, that, that you are faced with in trying to help them? The, I think the biggest ones are trying to recognize where do you want to start out? Uh, because uh, it kind of comes down to the value again, like where is the, where is, what is the knowledge source that you want to unlock? Where does information sit today that you, you think there's a lot of value in it and people aren't able to leverage it? So recognizing that takes a little bit of time because large organizations often have so much of it. It's like, where do I even begin? It's a cognitive overload to think about it. So there's frameworks that we have that we can advise and, and look at it. Uh, but I think that takes a little bit of a time to recognize, do I go into the the quality department? Do I go into the sales department? Do I go into the operations department? Where do I even begin to look at knowledge? Because right. there's there's so much of it everywhere. You can't go to the whole organization. You cannot go to the whole organization. We have to like, usually like we will deploy multiple avatars for a company. So one company could have like, six or seven different avatars deployed. So starting out with the first one, what knowledge sources is connected to, what it is learning from, which team is it learning from. I think that takes, uh, once that is done, I think over time, it's a land and expand uh, strategy. So you could just keep adding more information into it over time. Okay. So, you know, I, I spent almost 30 years with upstream oil and gas companies. And although it's been a while, I, I wonder, you know, there's... Um, I wonder if you ever run into um, a hesitance to share um, their products or their spreadsheet or their. Do you ever? Is that? Are we past that? I don't. I think that's a really interesting question because it's more of a culture change, right? Like trying to trying to get people to change their behavior. Uh, and that is often one of the biggest hurdles, like technology cannot really solve for that. How do you incentivize the folks to share knowledge with each other? And I don't think it's a, it's a problem that we have completely cracked. We still come across that. Uh, I've had people tell us that, uh, why should I put my knowledge into the machine? It will make us indispensable or dispensable to the company, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had kind of both sides. Some experts are they want to leave a legacy. They want to make sure that whatever they have acquired can be used by the generation that is coming in. And on the other extremes, we have seen the other ends too. Uh, But then also, I think the other piece to recognize is around data security, that not everything should be accessible to everybody. So how do you make sure that the knowledge that is being put in has all the governance around it that only the right people who have the authority and the rights to see it can see it. So I think there's a couple of different facets to that question, but you're right. I think that's a bigger cultural issue that needs to be addressed. And I think we're seeing, we're seeing that shift kind of happen slowly, but I, I don't think that we have the answer to all of it today. Yeah, right. And you're right. Technology is not going to solve that issue for us. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, um, Sid, thank you very much. I, uh, I thought it was really fascinating. And like I said, I've known about Nesh for, I don't know, three, four years or so maybe. And I was fascinated when I ran across it and, uh, um, really glad that I had an opportunity to hear a little more about her. <laughs> and, uh, and so thank you very much. Thank you so much, Joanne, for having me out today. It was really good conversations, excellent questions. I hope this was helpful in kind of learning a little bit about knowledge management and how we are thinking about it. I think this is a really big, big challenge that we are solving. I mean, we are a small part of this, but hopefully this inspires others to kind of do, do something similar and solve this problem for this massive energy sector that we're in. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you again. And so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Digital Doers podcast and want to say thank you very much to Sid Gupta with Nesh. And of course, uh, say thank you again to HPE uh, for sponsoring uh, these kinds of conversations. And again, I would encourage you to go to hpe.com and take a look and and uh, see if you can find some of those uh, dedicated experts that are those teams that are out there just for oil and gas. Um also, um, just thank you, of course, to the listeners for, for uh, joining us today. And with that, I'll sign off and say until next time. Thank you. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.